0: This is an AMI podcast.
1: I'm Kelly McDonald.
2: I'm Ramia Amadon. And this is Kelly and Ramia.
1: Live
3: from the Accessible Media Studios, it's another show and another year with Kelly and company. It's time to celebrate with a very special anniversary show. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald.
1: So we settle back. We get ready to get into, wow, six years, ladies and gentlemen, down for the program. And very happy that you are with us at this time to, to recognize that. We ask you to stick around. Um, some really interesting things to talk about right off the top of the program today. Something that we've been sitting on and waiting. And maybe some of you have picked up some of the hints. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I do want to welcome in Margaret Weldon, who's co-hosting with me today on the program. Happy Halloween, Margaret. And to everyone. We launched the show, which is really ironic today. as we.
4: That's right. And... One
1: way or another.
4: That's right. I, I can even tell you the very first comment I made on the show, but I'll get to that later on.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we'll wait on that. We'll keep that aside. And uh, what we'd like to do right now before we get to announcement stuff is take care of some of the Today business. Let's see what's coming up on this edition of Kelly and Company. Serena Williams recently stated at a press conference, there's a good chance she'll return to tennis. Brock Richardson, he'll give us his feelings on our sports update shortly.
4: And we are going to chat with Jenny Bovard, the host of a podcast, an AMI podcast called Low Vision Moments, which focuses on funny experiences that can happen with blind and partially sighted people.
1: Later on in the program, we get into some question-and-answer stuff. Why does a democratic country like Canada need a civil liberties uh, organization? Danielle McLaughlin and Noah Mendelssohn aviv will join us later on to talk about that. She's Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. When they discuss it in Hour 2, we'll get into all that. So uh, I would like to take some moments here to welcome in like my co-host for the program who is actually off today, but with the announcement we want to get into, we wanted to bring her in. Ramya Amuthan joins me here. Uh, Ramya, we've got some interesting things to talk about, but I first want to ask you about your time on the program, uh, almost six years with us.
2: Almost six years, Kelsey. Exactly. And I mean, it feels like I was there the entire time, though I wasn't co-hosting with you. Uh, It was shortly after I, um, after Kelly and Company hit AMI-audio that I actually got hired at AMI. So I was there behind the scenes. Of course, we have to shout out the segment that I did initially that kind of laugh at now, but it was how much do you care? And then, yeah, it's, it's just kind of, haven't turned back ever since Kelly and company evolved and evolved every year. And uh, it's really amazing to be part of it.
1: I think that was about three months in, maybe four, uh, or you started doing the segments and then uh, by July, 2017, you were, you were in the the co-host chair, all important stuff, ladies and gentlemen, because what's going on, and you may have noticed some changes. We will be talking a lot more about the changes tomorrow when John Melville joins us and a few others. But we wanted to let you know that as of January 9th, Kelly and company will cease being and we will introduce Kelly and Ramya, uh, our show, not to mention, ladies and gentlemen, we will be on television. We will be on AMI-TV, simulcast over here on ami Audio. This will start again January 9th, 2023. Uh, we've been working on this for, for quite a while. Things are being tested, things are being put together, uh, new facilities built, but we'll leave that to John to talk about tomorrow. And as mentioned, the name change of the program becomes Kelly and Rumya as of January 9th. What do you think of that, Rum?
2: <laughs> well, of course, it's a, a fun and an honour uh, to be headlining with you, Kells. I mean, I, I had to wiggle my way in there, right? But you were so generous, as always. <laughs> and um, I think that it's just going to be a fun time. We know how important the show is to each of us personally, everyone on the team, and uh, so many of our audience members, listeners of Kelly and Company, have showed love for us forever. And every year, the, you know, for example, during the AMI Connect event that we had, um, people shout out and, and give us... Uh, all kinds of love and appreciation. So we want to continue giving the the listeners and each other that that what we've been giving them all these years. So going to television is just going to keep adding on to the kinds of conversations that we have, the fun we have, and um, the many, many, many important voices that we hear on the show will continue uh, as we transition to television and continue being heard on AMI-audio as well.
1: We plan to keep uh, the feel of the radio show. That's very important Mm -hmm. to all of us. We have that background in broadcasting and radio particularly, and all of us here at AMI-audio have been having a really great time doing that, delivering that. How do you do that as a TV show? Well, we know other shows that kind of do the whole format of a radio show on TV. We're we're definitely going to be a TV show. Uh, with all the elements, but our feel in bringing our contributors, which for me, Ramya, is is really important. Um, we were asked about these things, what is the important factor for us, and we've talked about being able to describe things, not only what we show on the TV for people, but to make sure that that audio, that description, that the podcast is just as friendly uh, as, as ever for people to know that. Also for our contributors to get a chance to really Uh, show people what they're talking about okay but to continue doing and bringing them to another audience that uh really deserves to to see and hear them
2: yeah i think that it's it's very um important to us as you said because we are users of audio description we are uh, two low vision hosts who um, know the the kinds of um, value we need to put into a television show to make it accessible uh, for all our viewers and our listeners alike so it's kind of cool being part of that transition and getting first hand in information as well as uh, you know ideas like brainstorming um, and going through all the creatives to make it a TV show that still feels like, like you said, audio-friendly, showing the love for audio that we all have and the appreciation we've had as a show on AMI-audio all this time.
1: We have listeners all around the world. We always say that on here. And you two will be able to join us still every day as you do as we were lucky enough to be uh, simulcast on AMI-audio. And, of course, those of you who always love the podcast, you sit back and say, "Uh, does this affect me? No. No, same thing, same mm-hmm. show. Uh, the company is out there. Uh, it may not be in the title as it is right now, ladies and gentlemen, but it is our uh, under underlying number one, um, I don't want to say event. What's the word I'm looking for? Number one target, ladies and gentlemen, making sure mm-hmm. that we are all a company, feel together, work together to create this show. You're as much a part of it as we are. Ramya, thanks a lot for taking time on a day off to, to make this announcement that officially comes out tomorrow uh, via a press release. And John Melville and a few others join us on, on the show tomorrow to kind of get into a little bit more of the background and how this happened.
2: Anytime, Kel. Thank you for including me and have a great anniversary show. And we'll be uh, chatting and celebrating as we keep going.
1: You betcha. A lot ahead, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, Margaret, who is with me today on the program, will get some feelings and thoughts as well uh, as this begins that time where people reflect a little bit on on the show, uh, share their excitement, because so much ahead for us as we make the transition. If you're just joining us, we're talking about, on our anniversary day, The Move to TV, January 9th, as well as simulcast on AMI-audio and still, of course, available as a podcast. Margaret and I will return in just a moment. Michael Babcock and uh, Demasi Thomas join us next. We're going to get into the tricks and uh, (laughs) treats of online shopping. Stand by. That conversation ahead in two minutes. Welcome back to the program. Margaret Weldon with me today, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly McDonald here, and happy anniversary to us. But out there to all of you, the bigger wide world, hey, the best to you, and happy Halloween. If you want to reach out to the program, one 509 4545 is the number you can call, 1-866-509-4545. We'd appreciate hearing from you. Mentions for Kelly and company, if you would also give us permission to use your message on the air. Otherwise, we, we won't do that. Feedback at AMI.ca if you want to send a message to Marketing and Communications. If you have questions about Accessible Media Inc., maybe AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or or AMI-audio, do it that way. Feedback at AMI.ca. On Twitter to hang out with us, see what's happening from segment to segment. At AMI-audio. That's at AMI-audio on Twitter. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is a Monday. We have a great variety of programming, and we started off with Michael Babcock, who is here to talk all things tech with us.
5: It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles
1: of assistive technology. Michael has brought back one of our favorite guests on the program. Damasi Thomas joins us. Uh, They're here to talk about the tricks and treats of online shopping. Michael? See what I did with that, Kelly? I had Uh to
5: encompass today. By the way, before we get into it, I have to take a quick uh, reflection down memory lane. Uh, You and I spoke in July of 2019, and every time I think about when I started with Kelly and Company, I have to do some math because I'm like, it it, it hasn't been that long. But yeah, since uh, October of 2019 is when I got started uh, bringing information on, and I used that feedback line, the 866-509-4545, to call and tell Kelly and Romeo, hey, you guys don't talk a lot about Android. Why is that not the case? And then you and I talked and we got started, and then it evolved into a more regular weekly basis. And I need to include more Android, so I will I will endeavor to do so. So happy anniversary and congratulations on the news that
1: uh, was talked about in the top of the show. Thank you very very much. The late Tom Decker uh, was that person that said, "Oh, get to know Michael more," and you know <laughs> would be so so pleased having you in your in your position on the show, uh, picking up from where he left off. And that was one of the things he kept saying. Well, you need to see if you can find someone that knows a little more about the Android stuff. And there we <laughs> were that conversation with Tom was happening and your feedback was essential. Thank you, sir.
5: No problem. And and hopefully listeners realize that uh, feedback is essential. And and of course, that's what makes the show what it is today. So, Demasi, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to talk about shopping online because of the holiday season. And we all, okay, let me rephrase that. My wife, for all of us, shops online for us. (laughs) And as we go into the holiday season, I'd like to ask you, what are a couple of basic tips you could share with us uh, that would help us stay safe and secure? shopping
6: online? So one of the primary things is just always be aware of where you are when shopping online. Um, one thing that I always do, we all, you know, feel relatively comfortable at Amazon and, and places like that. But even there, when you're buying on places like Amazon, eBay, uh, especially places like Amazon and eBay to sell that allow for third party sellers, uh, you know, take a little moment when you're buying for someone that's not directly from Amazon or not a well-known company to review their um, statistics, review their ratings, review how long they've been selling on on that platform, um, just to keep yourself safe.
5: Yeah, certainly, and. And if you're shopping off of one of those sites, uh, do you have any things that people can look for in the browser to be able to uh, feel more safe while shopping on sites that aren't like Amazon or eBay?
6: Absolutely. Um, One thing that I, I always check is... Uh, looking at the URL to make sure that you are where you think you are because it is relatively easy to duplicate a website um, or, or to, to, to make a clone of a website, kind of make it look the same, uh, appear to behave the same, etc. And especially as a blind person, like I can't see any of the visual cues, like the colors aren't, aren't correct or anything like that. So checking the address bar to make sure that you are where you think you are uh, because it's very easy to put like Amazon you know, myhacking.randomsite.com and all you see maybe at the beginning maybe Amazon. And you're like, oh, I'm good. No, check the whole address. You know, go up to the address URL and check the whole thing. Make sure that you are where you think you are.
5: Yeah, certainly. And and make sure that that says secure at the top before entering your credit card information. Uh, so I emailed Ramya and I said, hey, this is what I want to talk about. And I asked if she had any questions. And one of the things that she says that she has as a personal insecurity is trusting payment options other than uh, PayPal and Shopify online. So how do we know what is secure
6: and what we can trust? So there are a couple of ways to approach that. PayPal, of course, is is, is secure. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Michael, you were recently telling me about Shopify pay because I, I wasn't even aware of that being a feature of Shopify sites. Um. Apple Pay and Google Pay are secure. Um, they're they're trustworthy. I, I use Apple Pay all the time. In fact, probably a little too much. Uh, they make it a little too easy now. Uh, but that is a secure means of paying. So if you see Apple Pay or Google Pay uh, as an option, and I believe Samsung Pay, Microsoft Pay, all of those are, are trustworthy solutions there uh, for checking out. Another way to protect yourself when you're on a site that does not offer any of those options is Many, if not all, credit card companies and banks offer virtual card numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, my credit card offers me virtual card numbers that are I can use that are, one, locked to the specific site that I use it on. So it can't be, you know... Uh, stolen in a breach or anything like that and then used elsewhere is going to be locked to that site. And once I've made my purchase, I can go deactivate that virtual number once, you know, my, my payment has been processed. So that's another way to kind of keep yourself safe when paying online and you have to enter card information is use a, uh, you know, see if your your bank or your credit card offers virtual card numbers.
5: Yeah, virtual card numbers are super nice, especially if you want to. Uh, with 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 a lot of these data breaches, if you want to be able to purchase something online, you don't have to worry about your card being used at a different site. Uh, and also, you can you can limit. Uh, we do this actually for some automatic bill pay. Limit the amount of the money to about mm-hmm. 10% more than what the bill is typically. And then, if your bill is outrageous for some reason, it's going to get declined. So you, that'll prompt you to contact the uh, service provider and figure out why was my bill $500 when it should only be $250. So
7: definitely right.
5: helpful <laughs> so are there imitations of shop pay and paypal that we can easily spot the differences to and and how would you recommend us uh, being alert of that
6: so in most cases i'm going to say that you know, if you're checking out on a site that offers PayPal and you click the button uh, for PayPal, that is going to take you to PayPal. Again, you know, check the URL address bar. Make sure that it's HTTPS and make sure that you are at PayPal.com slash something. Uh, similarly with Pay. Um So it's a little more difficult, I think, to imitate those in the normal kind of checkout flow without something looking weird. But again, always check the URL to make sure that you are where you think you are Uh, is the number one thing that I would say to protect against that. And, you know, if something feels a bit hinky about a process, um, You know, feel free to back out like you don't have to get that deal. You don't necessarily need that air fryer or that that whatever gadget it was you were going to buy anyway. So that's the one thing that I always tell people when doing anything. And if you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to have a necessary reason. It's your money. You want to try to protect your money. You want to protect your security. If something does not feel right, if you can't put your finger on why it doesn't feel right, but it doesn't feel right. Feel free to bail. Like, absolutely. You know.
5: Yeah. Yeah, better to be safe than sorry uh, and, and make sure that you're comfortable with where you are. In addition to imitation sites, how concerned should I be about unknown sites or should I just stick to the Amazons and Walmarts and Ebays of the shopping space during this holiday season?
6: So I have found some tremendous deals on sites that I had never heard of before. Uh, got a few nice watch bands from my Apple Watch a couple of years ago from a site that Michael, I think you actually sent me to first. Uh nope, live on our show. <laughs> yep, didn't know who they were. Uh, anything. So what I would say is, again, number one, check the URL. Make sure you are where you think you are. Uh, the store is called, you know, MyGreatDeals.com. You know, you should be at MyGreatDeals.com uh also take a look at the you know all of the things that I've shared previously right here uh as far as use apple pay use google pay use paypal because those are more secure methods and um you know paypal apple pay they you know they're all connected to your bank uh but paypal is going to also be there to help with fraud prevention uh same with apple because they have their reputation to 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 consider Uh, So if the site seems like it's reasonable, it seems like it makes sense uh, and they're offering, you know, payment methods that you are comfortable using, um, it's perfectly fine to shop at a third party site. I mean, you know, small businesses exist everywhere and they're always coming up. So I wouldn't say just strictly stick to Amazon or or eBay Uh, shop where you're comfortable, of course but most of the third party sites that i've seen that that provide shopping do offer apple pay or paypal or so what are those solutions that you're going to be comfortable with
5: yeah and and so you know i i have always been by the motto maybe because i work for one to support your small businesses uh, are there any absolute don't do's that you would say applies to every situation when it comes to shopping online
6: absolutely Number one, uh, your bank, PayPal, Amazon, none of these stores are going to call you on the phone and ask you for information related to a payment. Uh, They're not going to email you and ask you for information related to a payment. They're not going to text message you. Always view those as potential fraud. Uh, It's not to say that those companies will not ever reach out to you. No no store owner will ever reach out to you. But always follow a path. If someone's reaching out and they want to confirm an order or confirm some information about an order, always take the path of, you know, uh, if they call you, just, just don't be rude if you don't want to. Uh, I mean, try not to be rude. Uh, but get off of that call and then call that company directly with information that you're familiar with. Go to the website and get that phone number or use the phone number that you've always used to contact your bank. Uh, because if there's a problem with an Amazon order, there's a problem with your bank account, Calling them directly should still get you to that information. So don't feel pressured if someone calls you up or is texting you or emailing you that you have to deal with it by the communication means that they just contacted you over. Uh, Because if there's a problem, you can always contact that company directly. And, you know, as Mike will tell you as a customer service person, you know, if, if, if... he places an order for someone and that person calls and gets JJ on the phone, for example. JJ can look up that order, right? It's not Michael is not siloed off and is the only person that knows about what's going on with your order. So never, ever give out any personal information just because someone calls up or texts or emails and says, hey, you know, I know you just placed this order here, you know, yada, yada, yada. I need this information from you or that information, right? Take, take the path that you would t- normally take to contact their support or their customer service.
5: Yeah, that's that's essential, and use information you know, not information sent to you. Yeah, so exactly. that's the questions I have, Kelly. Do either of you two have any questions for Demasi while we have him here talking about tricks and treats for uh, online
1: shopping? You- guys did really well. We're we're just about out of time, but I I think it's one of those things that so many people are afraid of because of getting in trouble, but um, I think you'll both agree how much more people did due to the pandemic, and I think where we used to hear, oh, I'm too old to learn something new, (laughs) a lot of those older people are just as savvy now, aren't they? Yes, sir. (laughs) Well, you guys have a beautiful rest of your show, and thanks for having us today. Thanks, guys. Damasi, of course, always wonderful to have you on the show, and Michael will talk to you next week. Thank you. Join us next week for another talk with Michael Babcock as he joins us to kick off the week here on Kelly and Company as we get into a a tech talk. And, Margaret, that's nice. You get to settle back a little bit for a couple of segments, but I'm going to get you working next in just a moment. Okay. (laughs) Fair
4: enough.
1: (laughs) Wow. Margaret likes it. Silence, except for the sound of. Ka-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Right to the bank, right. We'll step aside for a couple of moments here, and when we return, ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, an interesting discussion point. Recently, Serena Williams at a press conference uh, actually stated there's a good chance she'll be returning to tennis. Well, Brock Richardson, he's going to join us in just a moment and give us uh, some feelings on that and what he thinks during his sports update. But off the top, he's also got some thoughts about moving to TV and his time here on Kelly and Company. We'll speak to him right after this. (laughs) Here's an interesting note, but of course, very predictable, I will say. Our senior producer for the program, as he's working today, of course, going down memory lane, six years of Kelly and company. He's been here since the very, very beginning. And he's hanging out, listening with us, of course, and once again for Halloween, wearing his lazy glow-in-the-dark skeleton onesie. All right. But we were actually going into the station a lot of time, Margaret. Of course, we would we'd get these things, uh, you know, costumes on. And I know today they were looking for pictures of, of costumes, of, of staff and stuff. So uh, hopefully a bunch of people got big smiles over that stuff. But it's time to welcome in to talk a little sports on the program, Brock Richardson, the host and producer of The Neutral Zone.
7: As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action.
1: Welcome, Brock. Appreciate you being here with Margaret and I.
7: Well, I am dressed up today. I do have my Raptors uh, jersey on, but that's about as far as it goes for
1: dress up. I was going to say, what costume is that? Yeah, it's my... That's my a fa- good fan in Kitchener can't a fan in Kitchener <laughs> Ontario that can't afford to go to go you know, tonight's game yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
7: anyway uh well, I wanted to start off by uh walking down a little bit of memory lane uh with you guys and with the audience we well, I wasn't quite involved with Kelly and company from the outset, but um. Kelly and my relationship started basically at the beginning of Kelly and Company. I was in school with the uh, Connect for Life uh, broadcasting course and I was looking for a mentor and um Melanie said, "Well, why don't you give Kelly a call and see what Kelly is up to and see if he'd be willing to do that?" And I and I did and that's how our relationship got started. And then slowly I got invited to roundtables and I would come into Toronto Sit beside Matt for a little bit of time and then go and do a roundtable. And then from there, I was asked to be a contributor. And I started out once every two weeks and then it ended up being once a week. And here we are. And I remember the very first time we were all sitting in the boardroom and we were coming in as co hosts. And Kelly says to me, So one day, would you like uh, being a backup host for Kelly and Company? And I was, utterly terrified. I was like, you want me to host this afternoon show? Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> such big shoes to fill. I, I I can't. I don't know, man. I'm sweating bullets just thinking about it. And he said, "Well, it'll come down the line, down the line. We'll we'll get you warmed up to do this." And the very first time I did it, I was terrified. Like I was like, I'm not going to be Kelly. I'm not going to be rumia Like this is not going to work. And sure enough, 6 years later, I have done it uh, three or four times. I think we're about headed on the fifth time with Danielle this week, Thursday, but it's been a lot of fun and congratulations to you guys and the whole show and the team and everything for what we've accomplished because without you guys, I wouldn't be where I am today with doing Now with Dave Brown, you guys. So Kelly and Company has been my stepping stone to where we are now. So congratulations.
1: Well, you've got a wonderful step ahead of us when we talk about the move to TV. You're working on Dave's show in the morning, uh, being very successful, and it's just really wonderful, Brock, for for yourself, the other contributors, and the co-hosts like Margaret and you and Danielle. It is uh, it is really wonderful. Thank you, thank you for the kind words too, and sharing with us in that walk, uh, you know, down the memory lane because there's so many things that have gone on. We've been so blessed, and things that I know myself I, I forget and don't want to because they are the beautiful things and the privileged things about doing what we do, sir. Let's and the move. nice the nice oh, thing ahead,
7: is sir. I. Just just want to say quickly the nice thing is is that being in this business if you're not nervous about doing something you probably shouldn't do it and so every time I do these segments I still have a little bit of butterflies in my stomach and the first time I get to be asked as a contributor and then co-host when we move to tv and surely a host at some point there will be those butterflies but uh, getting a little step ahead with now with Dave Brown is making it a little easier as we move towards tv
1: Well, keeping that nerves always, they say, keeps that edge on. Sir, what's your leadoff item?
7: So uh, in a recent press conference, as you guys uh, teed up, uh, Serena Williams said, quote, there would be a good chance she would return to tennis. So that is my leadoff item for today. And what's your reaction to this news? Uh, For me, I'm a little bit, I I don't know how to feel about this. I'll I'll put it to you in this way, Margaret. I'll say that if you want to retire slash evolve, as she said, do that. And just, that's fine. I'm okay. I'm just a little annoyed with the, I'm retired. I'm evolving. You can call it what you want. She determines it as evolving. But I don't like this whole, I'm gone away. I'm coming back. I'm gone away. And I think we've seen that with Tom Brady, who clearly, you know, when he retired, didn't retire for a season at all. He retired for only a few months. So to me, it's make that decision. And if you're not 100% uh, certain on your decision, don't necessarily go public. I think if you're not sure, you just need to deal with yourself. For me, I don't like the cease of I'm playing, I'm not, I'm playing, I'm not. Pick one and stick to it. That's my thought.
1: So since you've retired, uh, have you ever thought of going back into uh, to, to more professional para-sport?
7: Uh, yes, I did. I was retired for about four years. And for some strange reason, I decided to get the itch of going back and I want, wanted to do it for fun. And I went back and I literally threw one ball and said to myself, why am I here? Uh, okay. Why am I doing this? And for me, the the reaction I had was more of a, I don't think I want to be here for the competitive nature of it. I want to be here because I miss my friends. I've spent, you know, 20 plus years in the sport. And I learned that when I threw the first ball, I wasn't here for the competitive side of things. I was here for the social side of things. And luckily, I, I've been able to get some opportunity with bocce where I don't have to uh, be involved from a competitive level. I'm you know, I'm going to be emceeing their uh, national championships uh, next month, which is cool. And, and they've kind of given, given me a nod to my career, but for me, it it took four years to get that age, not a few months. And I think that's sort of where the, the, the line is drawn for me, guys. It's like, if you're not sure, and you're coming back a few months later, maybe not going public, you know, wait a year, not, not three, four, five, six months. I, I think as an athlete, you, you need to take more time if that's how quickly you're pulling the trigger to come back.
1: Toronto Raptors president, and assigned a jury was recently fined $35,000 for making inappropriate remarks towards a game official. What are your thoughts on this?
7: <sighs> Masai, Masai, Masai. We have seen this uh, a few times uh, with Masai. He has been in the media for some good, some bads. You know, we saw him say uh, bleep Brooklyn when uh, when they made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. He got fined for that. I, I look at this and I say, Kelly, you as the president, you put individuals in place to defend your team. I think you need to leave it as that. I think as the president, you don't need to go into that sort of minutia of defending your players because to me, and I'm curious your thoughts. To me, as a president, if you do this and you're defending a player or some kind of call that went the wrong way, you're kind of stepping on the toes of the people you put in place to do this role. And I just don't think there's a place and a time for a president to be walking up to an official of any kind and and making, you know, not nice remarks.
1: Like, I think where I get st- the struggle here is I-, I understand what you're saying. And I think he has to show and he's caught cause he has to show support of his team, his players, the staff, but you're right. There are people put in place who are supposed to take that hit. I mean, they're going to get fined, you know, regardless. But what I don't like here, where it can be a little misleading is the inappropriate. If, you know blank brooklyn well that's inappropriate you're cussing it's another team in the league it it it's we understand why his excitement we all all right you know kind of thing but you also understand put your hand out can't do that okay um here i don't know what kind of remark i i'm going to take it that it wasn't something you know you know like ridiculous uh, insult uh, cussing racist or anything foolish maybe questioning uh, a call or complaining about the fact that the whistle is constantly going Toronto, against Toronto, whatever that might be. Um, I think there's a point where you, you do that stuff. You take the fine. Um, I think in the playoffs when it, when those things are done, they're really to invigorate the team. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of like you in the level of, unfortunately, you got to be more poised. Unfortunately, it is what it is. There is unfairness, but there are people who are supposed to go to the league office and do these complaints or complain to the officials, uh, the, the officials bosses, the official official bosses.
7: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I guess I
4: guess that makes sense. uh. Sorry, Kelly, can you just uh, read yeah, the I question? I grabbed that, by, that one my, for you, sorry. Yeah, yeah.
1: The you. Toronto Raptors have had a very unique kind of schedule, Brock. Do you want to comment to this? Uh, t- playing Miami, for example, uh, two games in a row. Also with Philly and both being played in the same venue.
7: Yes, so um, this was something that puzzled me when I first saw it. When I first saw it uh, come from uh, in Miami, I kind of took a double take. And I kind of thought, did I miss something here? Did I like, is it an app? Like, is the app missing something? Is what's happening here? <laughs> and, and and so I did do that double take. And then you and I started chatting about this. And we sort of came to the conclusion that the NBA had sort of been having this discussion of like, we wanna do series, we wanna we wanna do this, which I am okay with, but you brought up something to me in the way that you would like to see it done as opposed to how it's being done now, and I love it. So I'll let you tell the audience what your thoughts were.
1: Well, right now what you've got is Toronto last, uh, when this first uh, happened at the beginning of the season, they played Miami on a Saturday and Monday night. My thought was, why wouldn't you have them play Sunday and Monday? Because they had come out of playing Brooklyn on the Friday night, and left New York to go to Miami, and then we saw them play a lousy game. I'm I'm tired of the product being watered down in some way or another because these guys are playing back-to-backs. If you're going to go with this series thing, to me, it's a great opportunity to make sure if you have a series or have to have a back-to-back, and not all the time would you have to do this, then make the back-to-backs always a series. So you, you you come to town uh, after that Brooklyn game, you have Saturday to rest up or as much of. Most of Sunday, you get your first game of the series in Sunday, you get your Monday game in, 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 in Miami as well, then you're off to Toronto for the Wednesday game. To me, it makes sense. I'm a little unsure as to how come, because I'm certainly no genius this way. I don't really understand how uh, it's not happening You know, otherwise. So kind of interesting. Brock, I know we're going to run out of time here. What's your thoughts on the World Series?
7: What a what a wonderful, wonderful series it is. I mean, to to watch, you know, Philadelphia dig themselves out of a five nothing hole in game one against Justin Verlander, who has yet to win a World Series game he's like 0 and eight. Uh this is this is crazy statistics for me. I I just think that, you know, Dusty Baker managed in a weird way in game one. Dusty Baker to me managed in the way of well, I want this guy to get his win and didn't take him out sooner when things started to 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 roll the wrong way in this case. I don't even think Dusty thought or figured, look, this is game is going to go off the rails. I just I think that they lost an opportunity to win a game they should have won and even if you're Philadelphia, you're not going to be able to dig yourself you dig yourself out of the, these holes in the World right. Series. So now that you're going to be at home, you do not want to have to dig yourself out of the hole. Philadelphia has not seen a World Series game in a long, long time. Don't make them sit on their hands. You've got Noah Syndergaard on the mound uh, tonight. Use that. You know, use that as your, as your thing. You want to be the team that gets off to a great start. You have three games, and the only three games you're going to have at the home is this series. I don't see one team, you know, winning all three games here. I do suspect we're going to go back to to, uh, Houston, but it's a great series to watch nonetheless.
1: Brock Richardson hits us with the latest sports updates here on our program on Mondays. Catch him on Now with Dave Brown, weekday mornings as well, and the gang on the Neutral Zone, uh, Tuesday, 11 a.m. in the morning here on AMI-audio, also available as a podcast and on YouTube with the Neutral Zone gang in the panel. Up next, we chat with Jenny Bovard, uh, the host of Low Vision Moments, an AMI podcast presented funny experiences that happen when you are blind or partially sighted. Stay tuned. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita talks to Helen Rise of Siblings Canada about their new course, Savvy Siblings, Strengthening the Financial Security of Your Sibling with Disability. That's The Pulse this Thursday at 1 30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time on AMI Audio, also available on your favourite podcast platform and YouTube. Kelly McDonald here with with Margaret Weldon.
4: There's always something new going on with AMI, and today we're going to talk with one of our um, podcast hosts, Jenny Boulevard, who is the host of Low Vision Moments, which deals with Funny experiences and stories and comedy and all kinds of things that can happen with people, with blind people or partially sighted people. Jenny, good afternoon. And perhaps maybe you could start out by telling us how long before this actual podcast got going were you you, um, interested in something like this?
8: Well, thanks so much for having me. I am always happy to talk about low vision moments because it was something well, they were things that were happening in my life, my entire life. I'm someone that was born with the same vision I have now, and uh, I use the term low vision for myself, but these things were happening throughout my life. And it wasn't until much later on in my life, uh, in my 20s or so, that I I, I noticed like they had th- these these happenings, even if I'm doing everything right in my day these funny little things are still happening in my day-to-day life. And they're sometimes frustrating in the moment, but later on in life, I noticed like, these are kind of funny. And I was telling my friends and my family, these little anecdotes, these little stories of things that were happen- happening to me in my day-to-day. And I got to wondering, you know, like, are other people maybe going to find this funny? Uh, will other people who are blind or visually impaired relate to these stories And above all, like, can I entertain people with these funny little things that happen? Um, and, And Low Vision Moments is a podcast that I had in mind for many years before it came to fruition. So when AMI approached me with the opportunity to do something like this, it was the kick in the behind that I needed to get going. And I will say that I've been talking into microphones and trying to make people laugh pretty well as far back as I can remember.
1: Oh, man, that's great. I always love that, that kind of story, that kind of relatability. And I, I know myself, I, I wrote a play for a Fringe Festival, and that was just one of those things I thought about too, Jenny. And, and as I sat and watched the cast perform it, I listened to the audience members and people in the disability community. We laughed. We were kind of, ha-ha. I mean, you get the odd person that, well, I really don't think we should be letting people think that those things that happened to us are that funny. But I also noticed in the audience People who were hesitant to laugh and needed permission to laugh and had some other friends that who uh, worked with the theater troupe and they they would laugh immensely about these things, see the show and laugh. And they told me that one of the one of the girls particularly who blind who was in the show, her mother was at the show. And she said later that she laughed and, and some people in the audience turned and gave her the worst look. She said, I, I wanted to leave. I felt unsafe. <laughs> so it was that how, how dare you laugh at these folks when we all know there's so much that happens, whether you're on your own reaching for something and you knock it over or miss it completely or just you'll know, go to reach for a door. Where the heck? Somebody took the doorknob. Oh, it's on the other side. Um, when you and your guests share your stories, under all the funny and silly, is there another layer of something?
8: there's always another layer right i think in our day-to-day lives there's so much heaviness and there's so much serious yeah. there are so many serious things in our day-to-day lives to worry about and think about and when it comes to low vision moments when it comes to these stories that we're sharing the podcast is mainly about having a good time but there is always the there's always the the layer of awareness and relatability and I think that you touched on something really important. It's it's okay to laugh. It's okay to include people with disabilities and uh, who are blind or visually impaired in the world of comedy, in the world of fun. We want to be included. I know I do. So I can only speak for myself and for the people who I have on and, and we have a good time on the podcast but there's there's uh, an air there's a layer of awareness, and I always use the word like demystifying. I want to bring listeners in and viewers in. Now that we're on YouTube, I want to bring you over to to an understanding in 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 the level that we can get to um, of what it's like, you know, when these things happen. I'm if you see yeah. someone tripping on a curb they might just not have seen it. They might not have had too many drinks. Do you know what I mean? It. it we need to help people think twice about um, the things that they see in their day-to-day. And I think that that's another thing that we try to do
1: yeah and it's hard because people have trouble even laughing at themselves in normal circumstances when really so many times we do something it's like, Oh I'm a silly me, how could I do that and if you you realize we're not perfect it's okay, and people aren't necessarily standing there all the time waiting. I see that blind guy let's just wait watch long enough he'll he'll do something funny here in a moment he'll 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 <laughs> fall over something it it's not like that, but
8: no we, can, we there's can. a way to do
1: it right exactly, and we can make ourselves you know not take ourselves so serious because everybody. And I sometimes think we we get disadvantaged because we don't necessarily see all the mistakes and funny things people do going in the wrong place. And, oh, that's not where I want to be (laughs) and laughing it off.
8: And I think finding the comedy in these situations, it doesn't always come right away, especially for me. I know last weekend I did my annual half marathon and uh, I had a particularly frustrating low vision moment where I'm pretty sure I wandered off course at some point, something that's never happened before. And I was really frustrated and annoyed in the moment and, and even, It's still taking me time now to digest it. But, you know, I made it to the finish line. Eventually I finished the whole thing and and not that many people can can say that they've done that. It's it's a hard thing to do anyway. So I wandered off course. It's going to be a funny story one of these days.
4: When it comes to guests for the show, Jenny, how far have you reached to find them? Like, do you look for the stories first and then get the guests? Or do you get the guests first? Is a combination? How far?
8: Sometimes it's one and then the other. Um, It goes back and forth. Sometimes I'll have a topic in mind and I will think, ooh, that person is someone who I think could really speak to that topic. And so I'll invite them on. And then other times, like the the guest I recorded with on the weekend for the next episode, it was just, I remember this person being witty, sitting on a flight with them, coming back from a goalball tournament. I need to have them on the show and let's find a topic. Sometimes my guests have a really good topic in mind. So for example, this most recent episode about to come out is about bad housekeeping. And I had to make it clear to my guest that I didn't pick you because I think that you're (laughs) not good at keeping your house clean. It's just something that I had in mind. And if you have something better, then we can talk about that too.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Uh, Now, you mentioned, uh, of course, uh, running just a few moments ago, and you're very active in local uh, sports and recreation locally. What's the latest thing you've tried? And was it actually related to sports? Was it the marathon? Because you've done that a while.
8: What was the thing I've tried, the newest thing I've tried? That is a really good question. I think the thing I'm working on right now is I'm teaching my dog to jog with me. I have a pet dog. Right. and he's full grown now. So they're, uh, he's at a point where I can teach him to run with me safely. So we're working on that. And that's is a bit of a challenge because when you're out walking or running with your dog, if they're not like a trained service dog, um, you know, they are going to get distracted by things that I can't see. (laughs) So sometimes it's a bit of a guessing game, like, is there a dog across the street or do you just smell something? Um, So we're working on those distractions and like anything else, it's a process and there will be low vision moments in there. I am sure of it.
4: Are you enjoying the video podcast making?
8: I'm not going to lie, I have never been someone who wants to be in front of the camera, but these awesome opportunities keep happening where I get to be in front of a camera and I have to brush my hair and look presentable, but I am I am getting used to it and I'm finding the things that I like about it are sometimes I get a glimpse of the guest reacting to what I'm saying, which is really nice. Because when you can see them nodding or gesturing or throwing their hands up in the air, it's just that much more of a a connection I find. So I really like that aspect of it. And I get to bring props along these days. So I get to bring some props along and sort of describe them um, for the audience, which is kind of another cool aspect too, I think.
1: That's awesome. I wonder if people will feel more Um, now that they see it reaching out to, I've been wondering that with everybody doing the podcast, if as people watch this, they feel more, hey, I'm going to send a message and and suggest something for the show.
8: I would love that. I would love more interaction and and the more connection, the better. I want to hear from people, whether it's good or bad, but I will say the best thing, one of my favorite things is just bumping into people out and about, acquaintances, strangers. When I get messages from listeners or viewers, it's, It's that's what makes it so worth it when people talk about, you know, listening with their family members who maybe didn't have any um, other connection to blindness or vision loss. And and they get that sort of inside perspective and they're able to have that permission to laugh, like you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah. Jenny, when. Uh, uh, Oh, go ahead, Max. Go ahead.
4: Oh, that's okay. You go first.
1: That's fine. Uh, I was just simply going to ask, when does the next podcast drop?
4: I think it's set to drop this
8: Thursday if all goes according to plan.
1: Awesome. Appreciate it. Well, good luck with it, especially with the new format. I, I, I've i heard a lot of good things. I think uh, uh, Andy and the company is so happy with what's going on. And uh, Fedora's off to you guys.
4: Well, thank you so, the, so much. Uh, and I can actually hear the love of the of the podcast, the love that you have for the podcast in the in the uh, your voice, Jenny, and I hope you keep it up. But thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to listening to more shows and podcasts from you. It's been that a pleasure. Jenny. And I thank you. Go ahead. Uh, this, my We were just talking to Jenny Bovard, host of the Low Vision Moments podcast, which can be viewed and heard on AMI.
1: Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, in the next hour of Kelly and Company, we're going to learn about the True Colors Festival celebrating diversity through a world-class concert by enormous, enormously talented artists with disabilities. Why does a democratic country like Canada need a civil liberties organization? Danielle McLaughlin and Noah uh, Mental, no Noah Mendel um, Aviv, excuse me there, uh, executive director and general counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association discuss it in a little while. Uh, but up next, the Yukon travel and color blindness classes glasses help individuals see the northern lights community reporter kim hovey she'll explain how and what goes on after this Well, settle back wherever you're listening in around the world, maybe through TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes, Radio Player Canada, awesome apps of which to have on your device to where you can follow Kelly and Company right here on AMI-audio. If by chance you missed the top of the show, do take a listen to the full Kelly Company podcast or one of the repeats, big announcement. We'll, We'll revisit that a little later on in the program for a moment or two. But lots ahead on the show, and happy Halloween to all. Margaret Weldon sitting at the Home Studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio, London, Ontario, on this uh, Kelly and Company sixth anniversary of the program. On Mondays and Tuesdays, we get to visit with our community reporters. Today, we bring in Kim Hovey uh, uh, out in Dawson City, Yukon, and we get to see what's happening out in her region and get to do a few different conversations. Uh, Today, as she brings some topics to us, as our community reporters do. Kim, nice to have you back. How are you?
9: Thank you. Great to be back. Happy Halloween.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, let's first talk about Yukon travel and color blindness glasses that help to see the Northern Lights.
9: Yes. So as you know, I do send you guys pictures of the Northern Lights. And that is such a big draw for people to come up to the Yukon is to see the gloriousness of the Yukon, of, of the Northern Lights. And so as I haven't always been colorblind, I'll just tell you how I got onto this. I haven't always been colorblind. And so it was just by accident that we found out that I did get colorblind or color deficient and so just as I was doing research and looking into things one of the things I saw just recently was this uh, northern lights and on in chroma a uh, brand name for these colorblindness glasses uh, the two of them joined together because you just have no idea of the beauty of the lights if you don't see the color. I mean, I enjoy it as much as I do um, because I, I think because I know color and I, and so I put my version of what color is on it. Um, but so it might be very different than what I see. Well, what your know perception
1: is. is. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think about that because I know I've been colorblind all my life, but I would swear to people, but I can see a difference. I know whether I'm I, in my mind, well, that's just a different shade of black or white or whatever. And my mind fills it in. Um, and, and it's. You know, always been one of those things I think harder than giving people an idea of what I can see, giving them that idea of what I can't see when it comes to color. Because sometimes I think, well, yeah, but I can, if I know something's that color, I know that's the shirt that is blue. I can tell you that's a blue shirt. Where people say I, you're not really colorblind, and I know as a kid that was one of the things I wanted to see the most, were those were those northern lights. But of course, as I you know got older, I think I should fly out there sometime while I have enough vision left to even remotely see them. But I don't know that with my naked eye at that time. You know, I'm talking when I was in my you know early 20s. Now would I even be able to see them? So it's fascinating when you mention that as to what you see, what you believe, what you depict with your eyes um you can see those colors
9: well yes and uh like i mean i will express to whomever is with me what colors i will see and i'll get a big chuckle because of my color blindness i see kind of opposite of what (laughs) they are seeing wow and so yeah um, so that's just something that I would love to be able to see that truly so this is one of the things that I put on my bucket list is I want I really want to see if those color blindness uh, glasses really work that um, neat. so hopefully one of our places whether it's CNIB or whatever have a, a pair that I can try because they are expensive so it'd be cool to try something and see what colors actually come through that.
1: Well, we'll put the information too up on the blog. So others who may be um, in, in a position to, to try or want to get a hold of them. So I, I got to ask this because this is just a general thing that I've always wondered, never really, you know, whenever I'm talking to about the Northern Lights, it never jumps into my, you know, my head to really ask. From your position to look for the lights at night on a night when they're very visible, um, do you just look in the northern sky, or do they fill more than just the northern sky?
9: It totally depends. And it can be from one broad side to the other, depending where you are, out in open land, you, like from ear to ear, you can see them wow. dancing. it's or it can just be pockets. Like to me, What I see is moving clouds, like, you know, scratchy kind of
1: clouds. Right.
9: Um, So it's more of a grayish tone. And, like, I see them very clearly, and they're beautiful when they dance. But I don't see how um, the color just explodes is what I'm missing. Yeah. Because that's what apparently makes the whole show just so bedazzling. because... They're brilliant colors of green and purple and pink. And yeah, so that's something that I would love to be able to see again.
1: I hope you can because uh, I I just love the mm-hmm. description you were giving there. Thank you. It, it's really something that I uh, you know people I know spend money to go up to do a pilgrimage to, and and really it is special. And any of us who have you know vision impairment would love to to, to experience that. Um, so I I always try to live vicariously through anybody that can. Uh, Ami.ca slash Kelly Co. We'll put that up on the blog. Information about the glasses.
4: How has Excellent. COVID? Night, oh, oh, I'm sorry. How has COVID 19 affected um, Canada's vision healthcare overall, Kim?
9: Well, from what I was doing research, like, I mean, I complain about, or I don't complain, but I uh, express the trials and tribulations of living up north and getting the proper. Um, resources uh, and it is very much a struggle, but I do see that it isn't just up North. Like it's, it's a very broad thing across Canada and it's scary considering like 40% of medical professionals in the medical field at this point want to either change their job to another location or completely change their career altogether. So that's, that's really scary um, in, the, in the grand scheme of things. And so they, um, the government provided $2 billion to clear the backlog. I'll just give you some facts here that I was reading through. And three, three out of four Canadians can stop vision loss with early diagnosis. So that's a a huge thing considering two-thirds of Canadians have not had eye exams in the past year. 180,000 fewer eye surgeries in 2021 compared to 2019 and 1.8 million fewer visits to the eye doctor in 2021 than 2019. So those are like huge numbers for Canada. And yeah, that's, um, it's just scary to, to know that that's where we're at, but they are trying to move forward. Um, so the, um, are, there is a petition um, from the National Eye Care, they want to create a National Eye Care Strategy. And that is the stopvision.lawca. It's a petition. And I I think I have that on the link as well um, for what I sent.
1: That's amazing. Um, and it's a lot to think about as everything. It is what it is, Kim. And, and again, you know, uh, going back to not experiencing, being, being out there, and we've talked with you so much about with it, everything being rural, but how much time it takes to go anywhere and how often for you a journey somewhere uh, has to be quite a ways away. And just trying to navigate all that to get the specialized care is phenomenal. Well, and I mean,
9: there's just, is these big obstacles that just make it even bigger for, for us up here. And that's that's daunting, you
1: know? I, I know so many people, and as we've talked about this report card um, with the Vision Health, a lot has been said about missed appointments. And I know myself with my eye condition, I've always been of the, well, there's not really much they can do, even though there's so much research on genetic eye diseases. There's things we've talked about here on the program when we've uh, had folks on here uh, from various organizations and going over some of that. So you start saying, okay, is there some hope in certain cases? And Is there, there movement? And I'm, I'm sure there always is, but it is very, for some of us, we get very complacent about it. Then there are others in that position like yourself looking for things, like the glasses, like any, just making appointments and wanting to, and well, look, yeah, mm-hmm. for you to do that appointment, that's a day and half journey
9: at least yes and so but i'm glad to see that fightingblindless.ca they've got some reports that they put out and it is good to see moving forward how they want to get this rectified because um we don't need to be a blind country you know we've just got so much beauty here and the fact that so so much of blindness can be preventable too mm-hmm. with early early diagnosis, yeah, so yeah. it's it's important to stay on top of that stuff.
1: Well, and in a country where we're one of the counted as a privileged country uh, in the world, you start saying, "How come that so?" When there's so many other countries that that are working hard, that people are helping or trying to do their best and support, and you sometimes feel they're making more in- inroads. Because here we don't worry about some of the people we need to worry about. We don't advocate enough for the people in certain areas. Um, so it, it's it's a tough one to kind of understand, does. but especially something we know can change. Kim, music's playing. We'll talk to you next month.
9: Thank you very much. Have a great
1: day. We'll put things up on the blog that Kim spoke about, AMI.ca slash Kelly Co. Kim Hubby, our community reporter in Dawson City, Yukon. Coming up next, we learn about the True Colors Festival uh, celebrating diversity through a world-class concert by enormously talented artists with disabilities. Stay tuned. We'll get into that conversation momentarily. Remember, when you have time, subscribe to the Kelly & Company podcast using your favorite podcatcher. Just go ahead, subscribe by looking for us. Do a search. Kelly and Company, AMI-audio. You'll find a whole plethora of podcasts. Make sure you follow us, and then you can keep up with the show. You can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you join us in the midst of having a conversation with someone. You want to hear it again from the beginning, check out the podcast. You can listen to that segment or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience with the audio vanity card on the end. Today, I'm uh, addressing some of our changes coming up, so you may want to check that out via the full Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe now using your favorite podcast platform. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program with uh, Margaret Weld and my co-host.
4: True Colors is a festival that celebrates diversity through a uh, concert that has a number of people, a number of performers with disabilities. This is going to take place on the 19th and 20th of November and in uh, Tokyo Tokyo Gardens. Today, we're speaking with one of the performers of that concert, Mr. Alvin Law. Alvin... Can you start out by um, giving us a little bit of background information about yourself and how you got into the artist that performed, or speaking rather, and things like that?
0: Sure, and thanks for having me. Uh, I have a perfect anecdote to start that just happened about a half an hour ago. I am currently in the Edmonton Airport waiting in the Air Canada Lounge to leave and go for a speaking engagement tomorrow, Uh, and uh, I went to sit down, have a coffee. A guy said, you play the drums with your feet. I've seen you speak at my school in 1982. Wow. <laughs> so oh, so wow. I was born. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. And But but imagine this. I'm in a public area like I am right now, so I can't talk too loud. But all these people are sitting around and they heard this guy go, you play the drums with your feet. And everybody was looking at him like, buddy.
1: How many, <laughs> uh, how many drinks is, are you in, pal? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So I was born without arms. And uh, that's not unique. But what is almost... Perfectly unique is the fact that I'm a world-class drummer, so uh, I make my living as a professional speaker, but this event is going to be incredible, and uh, I started playing music as a kid. Uh, I I tried the piano. Uh, Apparently, my toes were too short to play that, but my first instrument was actually a, a band director in rural Saskatchewan, a little town called Yorkton, in 1971, mounted a trombone on the side of a wooden chair with metal rods and clamps, and I played with my right foot. So I immersed myself in music and, uh, you know, to use that cliche, uh, that group became my peeps and music changed my life. And, uh, the drums became my third instrument that I tried to play and they worked out for me quite well.
1: Wow. Alvin, I've got to say, uh, looking at your bio, you have had i'm gonna say a a ball you've had so much fun so many different things you you get out there and do from from the public speaking piece of course music performances you were talking about film movies everything out there uh tell us a little bit about some of the highlights because as you're sitting here and this guy is saying 1982 i saw you do you're talking about playing musical instruments, 71 70 area my gosh (laughs) what a memory so you've got to tell us some more highlights
0: Well, I think what happened right from the very beginning, and it really did start as early as this date, and I'm not making a joke now, but people would say to me, when did you start speaking? And my answer is 1963. (laughs) I was born in 1960. So how could that be? Well, my mom was a very huge proponent. She wouldn't have used this word of empowerment. So she would say things to people when they would go, what happened to your little boy? She would say, ask him. He's not an idiot. I mean, those were the exact (laughs) words she used, right, when that was an okay word to use. right? So I really probably have been rehearsing this, you know, my entire life, but not because I'm full of myself, but because I decided at a very early age to use my life as an example. Uh, First, you know, for people like me, obviously, with a birth disability. But more than anything, even now as we go into 2022 and inclusion and diversity has become such a hot topic, um, that's kind of what I talk about. But to be quite frank with you, this was never the plan. I mean, what would you do if you had no arms for a career? I make a joke. I couldn't have exactly been a dentist. <laughs> Can you imagine?
10: <laughs> Open wide.
0: I don't think so. <laughs> so the fact that I'm able to, right? So the fact that I'm able to make a living as a speaker for now, 41 years, uh, not only has been a lifelong mission, but I still, you're right, man. I have a blast doing what yeah. I do.
1: And. and- I think where you talk about people saying, well, this guy got an ego, confidence, what confidence, it's you have to in the position that you were in from your mom telling you speak up, tell them, explain to them, you know, what's going on here to, to saying, yeah, I'm willing to blow that, you know, instrument fasten to the chair and give it a shot. I don't care to your radio career, uh, you know, everything that you've been able to try out do. It sounds like you've taken with confidence. And I think that's the, the really the main ingredient for a performer. Of any kind,
0: well, and I appreciate that, and you know the the not sure the right word coming up here, the irony of it, but it maybe we use that word, is my parents very much did not baby me, they did not coddle me, but what's really important and I want to tell this part of the story because it's critical that you guys know this. not only was I born without arms, but on the fifth day of my life, I became homeless. Okay, we hear stories like this wow. all the time, right? In in, in media about yeah. these these stories of overcoming things. Well, I was homeless not because I was homeless, but because my birth family absolutely had no interest in taking me home. So I was put in foster care, where a couple in their mid fifties took me in for a couple of weeks, but kept me, and their age was huge because they had wisdom. So they weren't worried about you know how pretty or beautiful or good looking is my child. I think, to be quite frank, a lot of parents have these trophy case children. (laughs) I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but, you know, I was not one of those. I had to do everything differently, but in a time frame that did not have the kind of mindset and awareness we have today. So I think I was always ahead of the curve. But being born this way, here's the critical part of this, too. I'm not disabled. I never have been. I was born completely normal. Now, that's not politically correct that's a factoid. And I think that's where people get surprised by me is I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not looking to blame anybody. And that's not always the case with some people that have had challenges in their life. I just choose not to, to be that way.
4: Wow. wow. And it, you know, and yeah, I was just going to say it takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Elvin, um, what can people expect uh, at this concert, especially with your performance?
0: Well, to be quite frank about this, too, I had no idea this was actually going to happen. Again, this was not in my dreamscape, right? Yeah, someday I want to play drums in a band in Tokyo where Katy Perry's the headliner. Those words would never have come out of my mouth, right? But what led to this uh, was, in fact, another surprise trip in 2016. uh, Again, if your listeners want to look this up, if they look up the 2016 Paralympic trailer, The Real Superhumans, they would see a three-minute video where I'm playing the drums right off the start every member of the band has a so-called disability but what that did was attract the attention of the nippon foundation in japan who wanted to recreate this video for the opening ceremonies of the 2020 paralympics in tokyo but we all know what happened in 2020. So this has been on the back burner for now almost three years from the planning phase to where they decided, look, we're not going to have a Paralympics, but we're still going to have this because the True Colors Festival. And please, please look up True Colors Festival has been going on for a very long time. And it has been putting these concerts on all through that area of Asia for many years, showcasing people with disabilities. But I honestly mean this. It makes, you know, Canada's Got Talent look like amateur hour this is going to be one heck of a show.
1: So there's a hundred artists. Um, if I'm going off the top of my head with that number, uh, can you give us an overview of what you yourself, I don't want to say you're hoping personally to achieve necessarily, maybe you have your own target goals, but when you see this event go to it, uh, how overwhelming this has got to be uh, as an audience member, what, what, what should we hope to see? And will see here.
0: Well, first of all, world-class performances. Um, This isn't the so-called, and I mean this with nothing but respect, this is not the Special Olympics of a show. This is a bunch of people that are are talented, almost all of them professional performers. I think there's two things that this really is about. It is about absolutely a world-class performance. All these artists are incredible, but it's also being live-streamed. So even if you can't be in Tokyo for the show, Maybe we can do what I've dedicated my life to doing, and I'm not patting myself on the back because I can't do that either without arms, is to be an example <laughs> to anybody out there who's kind of teetering on that edge with a disability in, in this case, where they think, I, I don't have any value. Well, you know what? Value is a concept, how we see ourselves. For me, music became my value. You know, one of my heroes was Rush drummer Neil Peart, who in the Beyond the Lighted Stage documentary called Drums is instrument of self-esteem man that one nailed it for me music has been my instrument of self-esteem and as you mentioned kelly it's given me confidence right that's huge i don't say that everybody who's like me could be like me but that's not the point we're all just trying to do our best if this can be an example but even more importantly if it can be the leading edge of how we see people with disabilities like the paralympics have done then this can be the musical version so then
4: what are you most looking forward to Meeting Katy
0: Perry? Are you kidding? (laughs) I do it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I was going to say
4: rhetorical question, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, to be quite honestly, I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not a pop music fan. I'm a blues and jazz guy, but it's not lost on me what her name will do to lend credibility to this event. I mean, it's unbelievable that she's going to be part of this and you know all kidding aside what i'm really looking forward to is meeting all of these remarkable performers you know it's like being on the all-star team and getting a chance to go to the all-star game and hanging out with a bunch of people that are quite remarkable in their own way and it is in tokyo let's keep yeah. that in mind that's oh going yeah to
1: be fun i will say when i first read that we were bringing you on the show and was looking at it that's the first thing i thought of what what a, a lineup of of uh, you know, like you just said, the all-star game of any sport, it, this is a, an amazing example because you're getting these people with incredible talent, gifted, who get to get on the stage, hand uh, p- perform for us uh, uh, more than credible performances. Um, let's step back just for a moment, and just through life, what would you say when, you know, everybody says, well, it's not, it can't be all, you know, rose-colored glasses. He's, he's, he's done so many different things. What for you has been the biggest challenge in life?
0: I think the biggest challenge has been keeping my positive approach to life as the world seems to be bent on not being like that. Mm -hmm. Social media, as we know, is very tricky. You know, the news today with Twitter and what's going to happen with that. Trying to maintain not only a positive attitude for my work and for my examples, but just for me. You know, I'm 62 years old now. That's not old. But as we all know, as you age, you become less and less capable of of struggling with the real life challenges. COVID really hit me because all of a sudden I go from doing a hundred speaking engagements a year to zero that hit me. And, you know, you mentioned the word ego earlier. I'm going to, I can't lie. I've got a big ego, but it's not one of those things that you notice. It's just internal. I'm very proud of what I've done, but I'm also, you know, don't have the secret to life. So even for me, mental health has probably been the biggest struggle maintaining that positive vibrational energy but the good news is I'm married to a woman named Darlene who is even more positive than I am. So we live in a pretty scary house. <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah.
4: What would you say um, are, are the oh, What would well, you say to people with disabilities who are struggling to make their own dreams? Like to, you know, the, the challenges and some things that you've gone. What advice can you give them?
0: Yeah, my best piece of advice is be your authentic self, okay? If you're paralyzed from the neck down, maybe your dream shouldn't be to climb Mount Everest. But maybe you can accomplish another dream that is as equivalent to the accomplishment of Mount Everest in your own little world. You know, you're right. I don't want to wear rose-colored glasses and sugarcoat things. You know, if I was to be perfectly candid, it's hard having no arms. Can you imagine trying to dress yourself, even go to the bathroom yourself? Those are real-life challenges that I face every single day. So I don't want to sound all perfect, but I would suggest to other people with disability, especially if you've recently received one, that your life happens once. You don't have the options of being able to pick what happened to you. I certainly didn't pick having no arms, but we ultimately all have control over the one big thing, and be ready for the cliche, folks, our attitude. We own our attitude. So have the best attitude you can, be comfortable in your own skin, but more than anything, don't try to live up to beyond what people not only expect you to be able to do, but you can do for yourself.
1: Alvin, how do we stream the concert and enjoy this amazing performance?
0: Well, first, I think you can just look up True Colors Festival. It is uh, online. Uh, You can subscribe on YouTube, True Colors Festival. And, you know, a little plug, you can also look up alvinlaw.com, and there will be links as we get closer to the date.
4: God, it's two weeks away. I'll be on a plane to Tokyo with my wife. Can you believe that? Ah. <laughs> Good luck. I, I guess that must, I was just going to say, I guess that must feel like a combination of Christmas, birthday, Easter, and every other happy occasion. That's, I, well, I guess and, it's and not-
0: everybody yeah. that I talk to, yeah, it, it really is. And everybody that I talk to, I, I've never been there. I've oh, been, to, yeah. so, I've uh, been to, to that area, okay. but Elvin, Tokyo itself. Uh,
4: yeah. Elvin, we're going to have to stop you there because we're right out of time. But thank you so Thanks much. for doing this. And we wish you all the best. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for doing this, you guys. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you. That was Elvin Law, one of the performing artists in the True Colors Festival, talking to us about the concert and meeting Carrie, Katie Perry.
1: Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, why does a democratic country like Canada need civil liberties organizations? We discussed with Danielle McLaughlin and Noah Mendelsohn-Aviv. Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Liberty Association. After this, well, always good conversation. Just had one, gonna move into another one. Margaret Weldon, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program today. And Margaret, for you, been with the show for so long and uh, appreciate the time you've put in as a co-host, a contributor to the program, six years of the show and us moving to television shortly, as well as being simulcast on AMI-audio.
4: It's very exciting, um, but I think there's a couple of things I really do enjoy about my job. Uh, It's the fact that I can help people and get answers to their questions and the fact that I can bring both of my families, like my home family and my AMI family together. What I'm really impressed with, especially with our team, it's how you guys communicate with contributors, with guests, and most of all, with each other. Keep it up and lots of luck.
1: That's Thank you, Margaret. Have. Fantastic. And we're going to move from Margaret to another uh, day oneer here with the program as we get into talking Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin.
10: Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms
1: collide on Know Your Rights. Danielle, welcome back to the program.
10: Well, thank you. And Kelly, like you, today is my sixth anniversary uh, on the show as the Know Your Rights contributor to Kelly and Company. Six of, of the happiest years ever, I have to say. Wonderful. I have been so fortunate to talk with so many experts and fascinating guests, as well as with the wonderful hosts and co-hosts, Kelly, Ramya, Brock and Margaret. Today, I am delighted to be joined again by my former colleague and my dear friend, Noah Mendelssohn aviv Noah is now the Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association Noah, welcome back. Thank you, Danielle. It's wonderful to be back. That's super. So, you know, often I remember many, over many years, people saying, well, why does a democracy like ours, Canada, need a civil liberties organization? And how do you answer that question when it's put to you?
11: It's it's an interesting question. I mean, in order to make sure that we remain a democracy, in order to make sure that we remain firm in our protection of rights and freedoms, we need somebody to watch that those freedoms are, in fact, being protected, to move things forward, to make sure that the right decisions are being made and that somebody is there to hold the government to account when they make mistakes or bad decisions, when they prioritize the wrong interests too much because there are so many balances and nuances that have to be considered when there's unconscious bias, systemic discrimination, and overemphasis on some rights or interests over others. There's lack of information. There's lack of accountability. I could go on, but I'll give you an example. If you look at the Emergencies Act, the government in February decided to invoke this act and take for itself this enormous, you know, some call it a nuclear power, which allows the government, without asking Parliament for permission, to make laws without the ordinary democratic process, without representation, transparency, and accountability. And CCLA, as an independent organization, is watching what the government's doing. So we were there and said, there is a problem here with invoking the Emergencies Act. We demanded that they end the state of emergency. And and who else can watch the government? So every country to protect its democracy, to protect its rights, needs an independent national watchdog. That's essentially what we are.
10: So a a watchdog is is an important animal to have in a democracy. And and no matter who's in power, um, organizations like CCLA are, are going to continue in that role, which I believe is so critical. And... When you brought up the Emergencies Act, uh, we've been hearing a lot about it on most of the media. And uh, many of us listened to uh, CCLA's Kara Zwiebel making a presentation to that inquiry. Can you tell us about the position that CCLA has taken on the use of this controversial legislation? The reason I'm asking this is because so many people have said, well, what's the problem? It worked. So... How do you respond to to, to that? How does CCLA view the use of this legislation?
11: Well, the Emergencies Act is a law that gives the government power, the executive branch of the government power, without asking all the democratically elected representatives, only those that are sitting in power, It it allows the government to give itself the power to make other laws without asking the other representatives, without transparency, without accountability. And therefore, this massive power is only permitted under very, very strict conditions. And CCLA, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, says those conditions were not met. The law, for example, says you can only invoke it in the case of an emergency that is defined as being a serious danger to someone's life or safety or a serious threat to Canada, and when there is no other democratically created law that's available to deal with the situation. So that's the first thing that we say, that, that those conditions actually were not met in February. And secondly, having given itself this massive power to make laws on its own, bypassing the democratic process, the ordinary democratic process, The government then created sweeping emergency orders, these new laws that it could do on its own, that violated individual rights to gather, to to go in the direction of certain kinds of gatherings. They froze bank accounts. They they violated countless people's privacy, asking banks and other financial institutions to send information to Canada's security agencies on the basis of suspicions and, and thoughts so they were sweeping powers, they were sweeping violations right across the country, coast to coast to coast, never mind that the issue that they were trying to deal with was a difficult and big but in some ways ordinary law enforcement issue in Ottawa that just required them to bring in other police services that required them to you know, bring in tow truck drivers and they could have done that using ordinary laws. So I think the main point is that... In a functional country, everyone has to obey the law, including our government. And the test to use the emergency powers is strict for a reason. It can only be used in extreme circumstances for a reason because it hands huge powers to government, and that's dangerous for all of us.
10: That's really important. I think some people, you know... While a, a cannon might work well as a fly swatter, try using the fly swatter. and I, I think that that we, we we've really seen that uh, you know it, while it works, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. So I think we, we really okay. do need to think hard and 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 listen to all all the people who are being uh, who are uh, you know testifying at, at this inquiry. Um, Can I
4: ask a question,
10: Danielle? Is, yes, is okay? of course..
4: Yeah? Thank
10: you so much. Um, and I, and I don't mean to be
4: like compatible, understand that, but what would you like to have, how would you like to have seen the situation handled differently? And I'm asking this because I heard endless amounts of stories, as I'm sure many of you have about how, you know, people couldn't get out of their homes or, you know, people with disabilities couldn't get to appointments or couldn't get their food delivered to them from grocery services and that. So like, what would you like to have seen happen? What would have been the ideal solution for you, Noah?
11: I'm so glad you asked that question because, in addition to what you said, there were other stories that we heard about harassment and intimidation, and 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 in some cases threats, and in some cases even worse uh, against a variety of different racialized and marginalized groups. Uh, you know, there were there was there was a variety of sort of racist, homophobic kind of threat and intimidation that was that was hanging in the air, and that, and that people felt very concerned, and we're very concerned about it. And and equality is a very important issue for us. That doesn't change the fact that we don't want this government or any future government in any other circumstance against any other group to be using the cannon, the nuclear power. Um, we would have liked them to use law enforcement powers. We would have liked them to bring in other police officers to Ottawa, not, not create sweeping orders across the whole country, but to bring in other police services and take apart the occupation. We, we know that protest is very important to many, many, many different groups in this country, and we stand up for the right to protest. Uh, we know that protest sometimes is disruptive, but when you get to an occupation that's taken place for, you know, three weeks at that point, and has taken over the city streets, and people are, and, and especially marginalized communities are feeling unsafe, there is no question that that occupation needed to be taken apart. Police services across the country know how to do this; they've done it. They they do it during mass demonstrations. On a somewhat regular basis, that's what that's what we would have liked to see happen. Not turning over people's private financial information and so forth, and not use of an act that could normalize using emergency powers. And we don't want that, not for this government and not for any future government.
10: So, in other words, you're we're thinking that perhaps there was a, f- a failure of policing. They they could have done something. They just did not do it. And using the Emergencies Act. Again, a, a cannon where a fly swatter might have sufficed. But, you know, we're still left with that question uh, that people have said, well, you know, it worked and nobody was doing anything else. So this is going to remain a controversial question, Margaret. I think you've asked it very, very appropriately. Thank you. Um, no problem. No, Yeah, Because there's ahead. one
4: thing. Um, because there's like, I mean, and I think the governments in the way contradict themselves too, because I can't tell you how many times I've heard our premier say it and, and our prime minister, quote unquote, we cannot tell the police what to do. So like, is it like, this is kind of a double standard, I guess, right from like from from a, I guess, from all points of view, right? Like the government on one hand says, no, we can't tell the police what to do, but all of a sudden they can jump in. Yeah, um, yeah no, do I, don't, to speak I don't to think that? it's
11: about. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get into it because this is exactly what's coming out of the commission of inquiry. So, because the emergency, the Emergencies Act gives government these enormous powers. One of the things that was built in. So, just a brief moment in history, before there was an Emergencies Act, there was a different emergency law called the War Measures Act. And in 1970, the government of Canada invoked the War Measures Act and declared a state of emergency in Canada. And then too, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association stood up and said, "You've gone too far. You, you want to take action against a crisis that's going on at the FLQ in Quebec? Yes, take action by all means, but you, but you don't need to use this power, which which is which is which is going it's going far. It's going too far. When they when the War Measures Act was replaced by this Current Emergencies Act, an act that has never been used, by the way, in those 32 years." Uh, 52 years 52, whatever. In the, a in long decades, time. It has never been <laughs> yeah. used. A long time since it was created. Yeah. Um, it, the, the terms that were put in were made strictly because people saw how it went wrong with the War Measures Act. And one of those requirements was if you use it, there has to be a public inquiry at the end. That's what's happening right now in Ottawa. That's where you're seeing my colleague, Kara Zwiebel, on the news. Uh, where you're seeing her ask questions of witnesses who were there, with seeing her examine policing. So there are a lot of complex questions about how police work together. It It is absolutely true that it would be dangerous for politicians to be directing police. But bringing in additional reinforcements, that happens all the time. It happened when there was a G20, and it happens when there are other gatherings of police officers. They bring in other police services. That doesn't mean that they're directing the police forces. They're just making sure that there are enough bodies on the ground to deal with large and complex situations,
10: and I think and that it's it's difficult to to sort of see how uh, politicians make policy, but they can't uh, you know tell the police how how to deliver those policies, how to operate. Um, at, but once the policy is made, and one of the policies is probably you do not allow your city to be blockaded for uh, weeks and weeks at a time. That would be a policy made by government. Um, It's up to the police to then enforce this policy. If they fail to enforce the policy, we've got some questions to ask. And I think that's what's happening right now.
11: And most police services should be governed by, not directly by politicians, even at the policy setting level, but by an independent oversight body, like a police services board. And they're the ones who are determining the specific policies under which those police services are running in order to create that arm's length from the politicians.
10: For sure. I'd like to move on to uh, looking at um, issues around privacy. Now, a, a few weeks ago, we had CCLA's Brenda McPhail joining us on this show earlier this month, in fact, and she was speaking about facial recognition technology Will CCLA be continuing to focus on other privacy issues uh, in in the weeks and months to come?
11: Absolutely. Brenda is hard at work on a number of different projects, cutting-edge research, uh, responding to to situations on the ground as they come up. Uh, She has a great deal of public engagement. She's currently focused on two federal bills that have come out, C-26 and C-27, the first dealing with cybersecurity and the second with what's called the Consumer Privacy uh, Project. to consumer privacy privacy protection. Uh, She's doing a great deal of work on facial recognition. She's looking at the use of spyware. CCLA is deeply... Oh, there's a virtual healthcare um, privacy question. CCLA is very engaged on privacy and on all other aspects of fundamental civil liberties that are happening in Canada. We have a number of programs that go very deeply into uh, civil liberties... Of, of many, many different kinds.
10: That's, so there's lots of work to be done there, I'm sure. Um, you have spoken on uh, Kelly and Company a number of times, Noah, about Bill 21 in Quebec. Um, and that was back when you were the director of the Equality Program. And, um, but now you're uh, the general counsel and the executive director. What's happening with Bill Twenty-One, and uh, also on the equality fronts? Uh, sorry, on the equality rights front at the moment.
11: Yeah, your, your your question could not be more timely, Danielle. Bill Twenty-One is actually going to be heard at the Quebec Court of Appeal next week. It's starting on November seventh, and we are going to be there. And we hope that this time the court will strike it down. This law has caused enormous harm and hardship to. Muslim women, in particular, and to other women and to other members of minority groups who are uh, from minority religions, um, many of whom are racialized and come from um, immigrant communities. If you um, if you ask, and that you know, it's been almost three years now. If you uh, ask me as well about the other equality rights work that's going on. Uh, one of the very exciting things that happened last week was the culmination of decades of work for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and for many other groups that have been fighting racial profiling by police in the way that they conduct traffic stops. So there's a phenomenon uh, there's a phenomenon in which police were given the power for for decades to
10: yes, I'm rea- stop no, drivers, I'm- yeah, I we really would time? love to hear more. And in fact, I think I may well bring you or your new Equality Rights Director on to tell us more about that in the near future. But sadly, we have run out of time. But thank you so much. That was my friend and our guest, Noah Mendelssohn aviv Executive Director and General Counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, speaking with us about why and how Canada needs to strengthen its democracy and how it uses civil liberties organizations to do it.
1: Thank you very much. Awesome segment. We'll step aside for a couple of moments. Danielle will be back next week with Know Your Rights. We'll return in a moment. Well, a wonderful anniversary program, folks. Six years, Kelly and company, thank you very much. If you weren't with us at the top of the show, we mentioned to you folks... Come January 9th, we become an AMI-tv product as well. We will be simulcast here on AMI-audio, but you'll be able to uh, watch the program and see all our contributors and community reporters and guests on the program via AMI-tv. That'll start January 9th. We'll talk more about it tomorrow on the show when John Melville joins us. So uh, please, if you, you kind of want to know a little more on the background, we'll get into that during the first hour of the program. Uh, but uh, congratulations to, to all involved That making this happen to all who have been a part of the show at any point in the last six years. That especially means you out there as we celebrate six years of Kelly and Company. Please check us out via the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favourite podcatcher. Oh, Margaret getting my attention. What's up, Max?
4: You're not going to believe this, Kelly, but we have got a very special guest that's just dropped in.
1: The
4: Count. The Count.
1: Well, well, well. Now, I kind of wondered if we were going to have this timely appearance. Count, welcome. Uh, Happy Count Day, or is that what we should be calling it now? Well, you know, that sounds like a
3: great name for the day, but I think they still call it Halloween. But you know what? It's also the very, very nice sixth anniversary for your show. So that is
1: amazing. Well we've had you join us numerous times to get us kind of set for Halloween. We know many people tonight going to enjoy it. What is the count's viewpoint of the perfect Halloween? When I say that weather?
3: Oh, you know when, it, when all the little counts and countesses can get out there and she or treat in good weather, that's my that's my dream. That's a great thing. But you know people don't usually ask what makes what scares the count? Because there's so many scary ghouls out there. Do you you know what scares the count on a day like today?
1: Mm, The sun?
3: Oh, that too. Yes. Good point. (laughs) But but beyond that, Margaret, do you you know?
4: No, I I don't know that count um, unless it's maybe the fact that, uh, you know, you don't have anybody to count anymore. Maybe there's no ghouls out there to count or... Maybe the, maybe there's like ghouls that
3: chase the kids. I have no idea. But, well, that, those are all good answers, but that's not it. You know what it is when the count wants to scare himself. What I do is, what I do is, I grab my hydro bill and I open it up. <laughs> Scary kids. See, I would <laughs> think, I think it wouldn't be much.
1: Less lighting. No. I wouldn't think much. Margaret has a real quick question.
4: I do. Count, do you ever, do you still do your dance uh, to a song called the Batty Bat? I heard a story last year that uh, you, you come from the Carpathian Mountains and you learn to count by dancing with your family members. Is that another way maybe you keep warm?
3: Well, you know, that's a very, very good idea, and it—it it is what I do. The count like likes to dance, but the count's a little older now. He doesn't dance as much as he used to. You know, back back in the day, I was—I I really was a good dancer, but not—not not anymore. Now not I'm—I used to be children of the night. Now I'm more like seniors of the afternoon.
1: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Long as there's that nap, I know, I know. Count, when we move to television, it'll be interesting to see if we can even see you, unless we have, you know, no reflection and mirrors and all that, uh, what you wear. Count, as usual, thank you for being with us on our uh, anniversary show and Halloween. The best to you. Thank you. Have a great Halloween, everyone. The Count, thank you, folks, uh, for being with us. Margaret Weldon, thanks for filling in. Thanks uh, for Ramya for coming in on her day off to help us with the big announcement at the top of the program. Also, Eliza Rocco for teching the show today. Tomorrow... Winter boots keep our feet warm and help us get around icy, treachery conditions. Francis Wong shares tips on how to pick the best winter boots out there. Also, community reporter Julie Martin highlights new accessible winter equipment that's available uh, through Pictou County Recreation. On October 27th, W. Ross McDonald School hosted their walk-through um, Jack event, and that was organized by a uh, staff member Georgia East. We'll hear more about the project tomorrow with some of the participating students. Woodworker Jeff Thompson is with us on the show. And if you love the shiver and fear tomorrow, folks, uh, treat ourselves to some of the scary animal stuff that Dr. Daniel Kine has for us. Happy Halloween! So at the top of the show, we made the announcement about the program name change going to Kelly and Rumya, the program moving to television in January, in the new year, something that's been in works for a while. We'll get into more of that with John Melville on Tuesday's show. One of the important things that we need to address is the company part of Kelly and Company as we celebrate six years, using that as part of the show name. That may not be part of the show name. But it is the essential ingredient for the show. That ingredient itself is what, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. All these people bringing to the table discussions, information, you out there responding, you being able to take it in in the way you want to take it in, the best way that works for you, and contributing to our show and support. We always think of the company out there. Because we are all part of that company, whether Ramya, myself, our names are on the show. That's not quite really the point. The point is the company out there who keeps us going every day. You, contributors, community reporters, that is our our absolute baseline. We've got the team, Matt, Grant, Jeff, and everyone else that works the show on a regular basis contributing. But how we guide ourselves is by, well, this is a company show. What does the majority want? What should we be asking here? How should we roll this information out to people? And, of course, the good times, smiles and laughs, and sometimes those hard conversations that none of us really want to have, but they're there, but we are all together as one big company and will continue to be so. Fedora's off. Salute. Six years of... Kelly and Company. Happy anniversary. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited
0: to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.